podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This episode of the Analyst Inside Cricket is brought to you by IG, official partners of England Cricket, and the place to go if you want to get on the front foot and manage your own investments. IG's platform allows you to invest in thousands of international shares and exchange-traded funds, as well as a number of fully managed, ready-made portfolios if you'd rather leave it to the experts. To find out more, go to ig.com slash investing, remembering that the value of your investments may fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than you deposit. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. We're looking ahead to the third test, the decider between England and South Africa at the Oval. Rather damp weather actually forecast for the next few days, which is a shame given the series is so beautifully poised. So we'll look ahead to that test match. Lots been happening, of course, uh, in cricket circles in England with announcements of T20 squads, with injuries, with the 100 conclusion. And in that regard, we have on this podcast today later the winning coach of the 100, Andy Flower, who, of course, coached the Trent Rockets to triumph at Lords last Saturday. And one interesting observation he made was his view about whether Ben Stokes would have been the ideal man to captain England way back at the beginning of Stokes's time with England. So we'll hear from Andy Flower in the second half of this show. But first, we should look ahead to the Test match, Simon, and obviously some compulsory changes to both teams. Yeah, well, we knew about Razzie van der Dussen with that uh, digit injury he suffered at Old Trafford. And then Johnny Best, I could barely believe it when I, the news came up on my phone at the weekend. A freak golfing injury. All sorts of conspiracy theories. And, you know, there was one that was doing the rounds, which actually Besto you know, went on to social media uh, to scotch, you know, this this idea that, Ben Stokes was involved and it was part of a bet and it was a rugby tackle and all that sort of stuff. And Besto said, well, I, would, I wouldn't bet a ham, was it? Wouldn't bet a ham and cheese sandwich on a game of golf. I'm a tight Yorkshireman. There was talk of a huge bet uh, resting on the game. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, really disappointing news for, for Johnny Besto, which you know takes him out of the T20 World Cup as well, which is a you know, significant blow for England, especially in somewhere like Australia, where you feel that you might have had a, a great deal of success with the way he plays so you know really tough for him it's amazing isn't it how you can have such a high in the summer and then such a low uh, towards the end of it but of course one door closes and another door opens for Harry Brook who's deserved to play I think we've, we've felt that you know it's felt this summer yours doesn't it that it, it, it's time for Harry Brook but where did he fit in well finally he does mm, yeah it's a shame in a way of course because he came off uh, when he when he was first selected for the squad he was in, in this rich vein of form, scoring hundreds of runs. People thought he might even get a 1,000 runs before the end of May. And and since, with following England around, and then obviously the one-day matches that uh, counties and franchise teams have been playing since, he hasn't had much uh, chance in the middle. So uh, I think you've got his most recent scores, which don't uh, make particularly rich reading. Well, well he's been playing in... 
you know, short form cricket, hasn't he? You know, in, in the hundred and he's, his last five, he's played five innings in the hundred or five innings in the hundred since he made 140 for the Lions against the South Africans uh, down at Canterbury. He's made 29, eight not out, naught three and 12. I mean, that's what can happen, can't it? When you, when you play short form cricket or even short form cricket, you know, the hundred balls as opposed to T20. So, you know, but he's, he's, he's deserved his chance. He's been in great form, generally speaking, this summer. You know, especially in red ball cricket and it'd be fascinating to see how he gets on in what's been a, a bowler dominated series so far the disappointment of course for Bairstow is compounded for England for their World T20 side which has been announced both for Pakistan and also for the World T20 in Australia in October and suddenly England are looking a very different side aren't they from you know World Cup champions in 2019 how many survivors are there from that team, hardly any. Jason Roy has been left out of the, the World T20 squad. And you know many others, obviously Owen Morgan's retired. Joss Butler's injured at the moment, so he's not going to play the early part of that T20 series. Chris Wokes, it's good to see, and, and Mark Wood are back in that squad, though they've played no cricket since March. Uh, and obviously Joffrey Archer's ruled out until next year. So... It's interesting that the, the, the core survivors of that World Cup 2019 side are Stokes, Butler, Root and Rashid and Root not in the T20. So only three players are currently involved in the side, but obviously Wokes and Wood will come back uh, after their injury recoveries. Yeah, well... Things move on, don't they? I mean, that was three years ago now that England played in that that World Cup. Teams evolve uh, pretty quickly uh, these days. The squad for the T20 World Cup uh, is inevitably, you'd think, bolstered by Chris Wokes and Mark Wood coming back, but they have been injured. You know, they haven't played any cricket for a very long time. So it's not a gamble in one sense because they will have time in Pakistan and they will have time in, in T20s in Australia before the World Cup. So there's, there's going to be lots of opportunities. It's not as if they, you know, England's sort of desperate to rush them back and they're sort of straight into the action. They, there will be some time in the middle. England got a very intense uh, series in Pakistan where they actually played seven T20 matches. Uh, I thought we'd got gone past the days of you know long, long short form series, but we got a, a seven match T20 series uh, against Pakistan, which is is not that far in the future. Actually, it won't be long before England are, are heading out there uh, to play. It starts on the twentieth of September and goes into the early part of October. Then it's to Australia to to build up to the T20 World Cup. They got some matches against Australia and then into the T. 20 World Cup in, in, in late October. Uh, we, we, There's no such thing as closed no, season anymore, not, is there? No. Especially if you're, well, either if you're an international player or indeed if you're even a domestic player because of the number of franchise tournaments. Obviously, the, the Caribbean Premier League going on at the moment and then there'll be uh, leagues in the winter. Andy Flower was saying today that he's going to go into the T10 in Abu Dhabi and he's going to the draft of that and then obviously the tournament afterwards so you know there's so much to look forward to actually for players but we should focus on the test match because it really has crescendo to an exciting finale at the Oval this week weather permitting and I guess the first thing that South Africa will do is restore their pretty fearsome four-man seam attack to in harness again after it was rudely interrupted in, at Old Trafford because they were devastating at Lords, weren't they? And they'll they'll pose a bare-stoless England plenty of problems, I'd imagine. Yeah, one one thing we we are going to do 
uh, in the next week or so on this stream is to, is to hear from Ed Smith, the, the former national selector who's got a book out at the moment. And one part of his book is, is sort of dedicated to the calling up of Sam Curran, a left armour, and, and, and doing doing really well. And he, one of his points was that the left armour helps out everybody else. It's a different angle and other bowlers have done better because they've got a left armour and, you know, it's posing a different problem for a batter. He tells a story about when he was playing, about uh, playing on a flat pitch against Somerset and Somerset brought on a left arm and it just disrupted everything. Anyway, read all about it in, in Ed's new book and we'll, we'll, you'll, we'll hear from him on an extended interview uh, with him. But of course, you know, but South Africa did have that, didn't they? They had the tall left armour as a point of difference to their right arm pace bowlers and they decided to leave him out. It's, it's, I would, it's inconceivable that they're going to leave him out for this game. Okay, if mm. it had been blazing hot sunshine in London, you know, for two weeks in the lead up to the game, then you could sort of understand it. And, you know, they've got covers and everything. They probably might, might be reasonably dry, but there's been a lot of rain around. It just feels the weather as patterns have changed and it, it looks as if the... The, for, the, for the game itself, that there's going to be some rain around as well. So, yeah, why why wouldn't you restore your your tall left armour to the attack? Yeah, and and people will wonder why is it you know left armers do pose the problems they do, and it's just you know when you're a batsman, you're conditioned to facing right arm over pretty much, and it, you know a bit of perhaps off spin from round the wicket occasionally, but mostly you're conditioned to facing right arm over bowlers, and. Suddenly, you've got a guy coming from a completely different angle with a different arm, with a different sort of trajectory, because quite often the left arm over bowlers actually angle the ball across the right-hander. And so your alignment has to be totally different. And that, that in itself, batsmen who are creatures of habit do have trouble realigning themselves to a different angle. Uh, what I remember, you know, I remember facing left arm over bowlers and thinking, oh, there's a, there's a nice wide ball. I'll drive that through the covers. And because of the angle, you end up actually almost hitting across the line if you're hitting it through the offside and only having half the bat making contact with the ball and therefore you're finishing up with an edge and a caught at slip. And so what often you have to do as a batsman is almost move across your stumps and, and hit the left armour back roughly where he came from. So you're actually hitting an off-stump ball back to mid-on to the to your left side as a right-hander, to the right-hand side of the bowler. And that that in itself just takes quite a lot of adjustment. Then they add in their swing, their in-swingers that someone like Trent Bolt uh, excels at. And it really does pose significant questions, not only facing them, but then going back to facing a right-arm over bowler later. So you can see why, uh, in, say, Ed Smith's book, for instance, he justifies the inclusion of Sam Curran because he increased the or improved the averages uh, even more of the likes of Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad, who had even lower averages taking wickets playing with Sam Curran than they have otherwise. So, do you think? I mean, the South Africans have gone away, and uh, you know, everyone sort of had a bit of a breather. Uh, really, the Southerners went away and they've sort of been with their families. Do you, do you think it would have been eating away at Dean Elgar, the, the, the skipper? Yeah, OK, yeah, we've made a selection error. Or, or, do you think, or do you think they feel that it was just the wrong outcome but the right decision? Yeah, that's a good do question. You, that's a good question. I, I, think that, I think someone like Dean Elgar is quite a realistic person. He's a straightforward guy, isn't he? And there'll be... People with big egos who will say, of course, we made the right decision and, you know, just that we didn't play well enough. I think he'll be realistically 
to, to know that they made the wrong decision. And, you know, you learn from it, don't you? He's not necessarily going to admit it but it, 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 publicly, but he, I think he'll admit it to himself. And you, you, you become a better person as a result by admitting your mistakes, even just to yourself. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it, it, it's easy in hindsight, isn't it? So, well, it was obviously the wrong decision. But we we both know that if the game had gone five days, with South Africa batted first, of course, if the game had gone five days, then those spinners might have really had a dramatic impact on the game. But, of course, we didn't get to five days because the, the seamers had an even bigger and, and quicker impact on the match. I, you know, so, yeah, you, you can debate this sort of thing forever in, in selection. Uh, sometimes you overthink things and what, what worked at Lord's um, you know, pro- probably would have worked for them reasonably well yeah. at Old Trafford as well. Sure would, and I'm definitely yeah. it's going to work at the Oval. I think it's going to, it's going to be a battle of the bowling attacks, isn't it? Because England are without Bearstow, Harry Brook making his debut, still a slightly suspect opening pair, though obviously Zach Crawley committed himself well to the crease in, in England's one innings at Old Trafford. Uh, but the converse to that is that the England seamers are going to have a, a field day potentially against a rather fragile South African batting order, none of whom have really covered themselves in much glory recently and who they themselves will be uh, introducing a debutant. Yeah, it looks like it's, it looks as if it's going to be Ryan Rickleton who's going to play. They could play uh, Kaya uh, Zondo, uh, but it looks like Rickleton... Uh, when you listen to this podcast, you might already know. But Rickleton's played a, a couple of test matches so far. He's he's made a reasonable start. He's got a very good first-class average of, of 53, but it's very different, you know, coming... You know, into a test match, into a test series in a crucial game, you know, against the likes of Jimmy Anderson and, and Stuart Broad and Ollie Robinson as well, who had, I thought had a, a very good game at Old Trafford. I know we, we disagreed, Yolds, about whether he, he should have played or not. I think he's a, you know, he's a dangerous bowler in, in English conditions and he, and he showed that in, in the last uh, test match. I can't see England changing their the configuration of their bowling attack can you I, I mean they they could go an extra they could just play five seamers couldn't they I suppose uh, they could play leave out Jack Leach and play Potts I mean that is one way of going uh, mm. very much depends on conditions and pitch mm. and all that sort of thing mm. but they like to they like to have that option don't they to with, with, with mm. the, the slow left armour but it, it, it's happened uh, before do, 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 you, do you see England potentially doing that or not it just if, 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 if four can't do it five what's the point well, of having yeah, five it, there is that but if you think you're going to lose quite a bit of time to the weather then yeah there's an awful lot of point of having a, a spinner because he's he's not going to get a bowl very much uh, so difficult one uh, I, at the moment I don't think Jack Leach is bowling particularly well but you know it's good to have that variety I suppose and actually this goes back to, to Ed Smith's book which, as you mentioned, we'll uh, delve into in more detail in a later podcast. But uh, one thing he talks about is having a varied attack and how that really enhances the individuals within it and makes the team greater than the sum of their parts. So England will be maybe pretty reluctant to leave the spinner out. Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Because actually that would make it five right-arm pace bowlers. But... I don't know horses for courses. Sometimes that's what you need. You just you do need just to turn up with that sort of relentlessness of a of attack. Um, but if it does if it does spin and there is you know sometimes the oval does and there's extra banks there at the oval as well which can help the spinner. But it's that point we've made quite often, isn't it? The um, 
if it if it does it for the spinner, it'll almost sort of, certainly in England sort of do it quicker for the pace bowlers. You know, you can you can move through a side quicker with a pace bowling attack in England often you know, quicker than you can with a, a spinner. Anyway, that that that, that they they probably won't do that, but they could do that. They could have. Uh, pots in, and then you you just got Stokes as your sort of an enforcer, really, or your, you know your, your point of difference, because that's what he would be, I and mean, he sort of he was that at Old Trafford as well. So, what I think what we I think what we're both hoping, Yoz, is that when the teams turn up on Thursday mornings, that we don't get one of those lights on, overcast, sort of sticky mornings, pitch a bit damp, where you know, whoever loses the toss is five down six down at lunchtime I think I think that's the hope I mean generally the oval is it's, it's got something there for the batters isn't it? it's probably one of those pitches that has got a bit more there for the batters you know someone like Ollie Pope uh, for example has really benefited from from playing there over the years yeah in fact uh, Surrey have more men who've made a hundred hundreds than any other county and there's no coincidence that obviously you know they played many of those innings at the oval it's a it's a great place for people who hit the ball square of the wicket because the square itself is so wide, there are so many pitches, many of which, of course, have been used this summer, that virtually the whole of the outfield square of the wicket is very, very compressed, short grass, pitches that have been played on earlier in the season. So the ball just runs over them like a billiard table. So it goes straight to the boundary if you hit anything square of the wicket. Yeah, it, and it, it does race away. Uh, whether it will race away as much after the rain uh, that we've had in London uh, recently, I'm not so sure. I was last night. I, mean, I don't know whether you heard it. The, the thunder last night was I, as loud. I was in the, I was, I, I was in the middle of it, it actually because two men were trying to steal my car. So I managed to intercept them and put one of those big steering locks on, so no one can steal it anymore. Hold on, I think we need to we need to go into this a bit. You you saw two people trying to steal your car last night. I did, yes. And uh, so I sort of rattled at the windows and they ran off. Uh, my car has been stolen before. Uh, it's it's a particular kind of car, which apparently uh, the sort of gangs of thieves going around at the moment stealing cars are very good at, at, at nicking because they can intercept the remote-controlled devices' frequencies and just get in and drive it off. And that's already happened to me once in the last 12 months. So watch out if you're a Kia owner. Okay, so the, the, the weather not so good for cricket, but good for preventing your car being stolen. Time for another shout out for our sponsor, IG. If you're investing for the future and want to put yourself in the best possible position to achieve the best possible outcomes, then you could do worse than considering investments from IG. Through IG's investing platform, you can pick from thousands of UK and international shares with low commissions and extended hours on dozens of major US stocks. You can also discover the potential of exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, which allow you to invest in the performances of a wide range of different sectors, regions, assets and themes, like clean energy, electric vehicles or AI. Or, if you'd rather leave it to the experts, you can choose from a number of ready-made, low-cost IG smart portfolios, each designed and managed for you in line with your preferred risk appetite. All options are available as a tax-efficient ISA, with a SIP account coming very soon. To find out more, go to ig.com slash investing, remembering that the value of your investments may fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than you deposit. So who, who, who's favourites then over the next few days? 
I mean, would you, would you back England to, to to take the series, or is it be, because of that South African attack we think it's going to play? And because if you get it, if you get it right, if you're bowling in the right conditions, then it, it could be problems again for England's batting lineup. Was it, was it I think I think England I think England just have the edge. Uh, that bowling attack South Africa is superb, but England have better a better batting order, even without Bairstow and a bit more experience. And so I just kind of edge England. But not by much. I think it'll be quite a low-scoring game. South Africa have not got a great record at the Oval. Their their one victory uh, was inspired by Hashim Amla's triple hundred. I think I can still see him batting now. He just seemed to bat forever and ever and ever. I mean, it was an incredible game that South Africa making over six hundred for the loss of two wickets. I mean, extraordinary game. But generally speaking, England have had the the better of it in oval test matches against South Africa. There've been some great games as well. You go back to the nineties, Devon Malcolm's nine wickets. I was there for that. I mean, that was phenomenal uh, quick bowling from Devon Malcolm. And England's actually great come from behind victory in the early 2000s in what was yes. Alex, Alex Stewart's last test match. Well, I think That was on a the double fir- hundred by Marcus Descothic, wasn't it? That's yeah. right. I think on the yeah. first day, South Africa, or in their first innings, was something like 360 for two or one. I mean, it just shows what you can do, can't you? You can do... You can get, you can, and England have done it this summer. They've got back into games. They've been completely out of. I don't think they want South Africa to be 360 for, for one or two, uh, over the next few days. But there have been some, some cracking Test matches between uh, these two sides, and and let's hope uh, we've got another one, uh, weather permitting, because it'd be it'd be a, a fitting end actually to what has been a glorious, Test match summer, hasn't it, yours? I don't think we can debate that or, or dispute that in any way. OK, well, let's hear from Andy Flower, the former Zimbabwe cricketer, of course, fantastic batsman and, and wicketkeeper and former England coach as well, who took England to number one in the world in 2011. And he's had a phenomenal success actually recently in the shorter formats. And we'll hear about what he thinks about England and their test performances in a bit. But first, we asked him about the experiences of coaching Trent Rockets in this year's 100 and the thrill of winning the tournament on Saturday at Lords. The experience was sensational. We had, we actually had a really great month together. It wasn't just the final. Um, I, I've said it to a few people um, since since that game that we had a really easy bunch of guys to work with. Um, for whatever whatever reason, things gelled very easily, and that doesn't necessarily uh, guarantee any success at all. Um, but it makes it, it makes the month together very pleasant indeed. Uh, so I had a really calm captain, had a had a great uh, support staff, and the players were just sensational. Um, so the the month together was just you know we wanted to make it memorable. We talked about it at the start of our campaign actually, um, and it turned out that way. Uh, so really satisfying, personally and professionally. Um, but also really rewarding to uh, to watch the guys and see how much they enjoyed it uh, and enjoyed each other's company. And importantly, in the franchise world, made new friends that I think will be lasting for a number of people. So um, really satisfying. Thanks. That's, a, that's an extraordinary um, achievement in a way, uh, because... You know, you have have kind of very much grown up with the traditional forms of the game, Test cricket, obviously, and you had a a, a tremendous success getting England to number one in in 2011. And and yet, you know, recently you've had 
tremendous success in the shorter formats. I think is that 11 finals you've been involved with now or 10, but certainly double figures and at least three or four of them successful. So what do you put that down to? The franchise world, it, like it's a, it's a slightly different sort of coaching world to get into. Um, and it's quite interesting to reflect on those differences. You know, the, you're not looking for that medium to long-term development of, a, of an individual or, or a team, really. Um, you're looking for short-term success um, and, uh, and you've got to work out ways in which to bring that about. Um, one of those is obviously getting, getting the guys excited about being together and getting some sort of unity of purpose so that you can head in a similar direction um, and, and primarily making them, them feel uh, comfortable, uh, able to express themselves as fully as possible, um, empowered to make decisions, because we know in this game, you've got to make a series of pretty good decisions. You don't have to be perfect, but make pretty good decisions. Um, and that gives you a better chance of success. And that goes for us in the management team as well. Um, and, uh, and give them a sense of um, excitement about being together and doing something special together. And, and very crucially, make them feel as confident as possible. So um, that's how an How do you actually do that? I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it sounds a great theory, and I'm sure you're very good at it, but can you give us an example of someone who you felt you have lifted their confidence and how you did that? Well, usually I would say real confidence um, is actually born from a person being self-aware enough to notice himself getting better at something. So improving their skill or improving their understanding or improving their decision-making. Um, and so uh, working in the medium to long-term with a, a side like an international side or perhaps with a county side or, um, or perhaps like I did with the Lions um, at that level and having a, a few years to work together with people. I would definitely take that route to building people's confidence. But in the franchise world, you don't have that sort of time available to you. So the responsibility for the management and coaching team to create an environment where the players uh, feel as if they are making decisions towards the, um, that, that affect the direction of our strategy, our tactics, our training methods, uh, the way that we brief or debrief, giving them that sort of, may, helping them contribute mm. and okay. feel part of that driving force is really important because then they they feel that they, their decisions are making a difference. And they're contributing um, and they're belonging, I suppose. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, on the confidence front, um, I, I think just telling people that they are good at something that is very, very limited um, tactic for growing people's confidence, but the but the daily interactions with people, um, uh, both uh, the player interactions with each other, uh, but also more, more crucially, I think the the uh, support staff interactions with the players are vitally important. Those interactions are happening all the time, so it, it's really important that you get the right sort of guys on your staff. And we were, I was very lucky. We were very lucky uh, to have a, a really good bunch of guys together. Um, uh, 
Uh, we had Mick Newell, who was right at the top, and he's as solid as they come. Great guy. And, uh, and he's been around the block and he's really calm. Um, and I think some of that filters down. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we had some excellent coaches and support staff and, and Chris Marshall, who's our psychologist, um, who sort of came in and out through the month. And all those interactions, I, I, I would like to feel, were uh, growing people's self-belief um, and also their, the, the, the feeling of freedom to make decisions and make lots of, lots of uh, decisions that uh, some of which you end up giving you a better chance of winning. Are you quite excited by T20? You know, as I said at the start, you're a, a test match traditionalist, really, and obviously found a great amount of success, although you were a fairly innovative cricketer as well in, in the shorter formats. But have you found a level of excitement? Because, I mean, your planning of, say, the, the what we called it, didn't we call it the andocracy, when you and Straussy together uh, took England to number one, and that was a long sort of summer plan or two-year plan, really, whereas this is more, as you say, kind of bringing a, a group together. But are you quite excited by the opportunities and, and, in a way, the format itself and what it offers? Yeah, very much so. Um you know, prior to me leaving the ECB and getting involved in franchise work, which was, was about three years ago, I hadn't paid that much attention to the IPL or the Big Bash. Um, you know, international cricket was my thing and then coaching the Lions. Um, you know, I really enjoyed that role. Um, so, but obviously when I turned my attention to the franchise world and, and, and got a couple of um, a couple of head coach contracts early on. Then I wanted to, you know, study the game a bit closer. Um, and even though we'd had success in 2010 with England and, and Paul Collingwood as captain, mm, of course. You know, yeah. Um, you know, the, the franchise game's, you know, a, di a different game. So uh, it, it, I, I find the challenge really uh, turns me on. Um, and and it's great it's great fun professionally to see how well you can do in that sort of world and it's and it is slightly different you know there's it's different in the hundred because you the the ECB own and run the competition uh, the franchise world elsewhere there are individual owners private owners um, so that dynamics quite different and and fun in a in a different way so. Um, I, I find it all really interesting. So, um, uh, and when people are under pressure, it's fascinating to, to feel the pressure yourself and notice how you're reacting to it and, um, and finding ways of thriving under that sort of pressure. And then it's also interesting watching other people and how they deal with it. You know, people in your own team or, or, or other teams. Do you keep an eye on England's fortunes have been watching them this summer and in, in test cricket mainly yeah absolutely yeah i mean i was so proud to do that job um and and so i felt so fortunate to have been given the opportunity to work with one of the premier test nations in the world um and to be involved in things like world cups and uh, and four ashes series i mean for zimbabwean that was just a sensational um opportunity and I felt very lucky so yes I've uh, it's very close to my heart um, how England do 
and uh, and so I watch really closely. Um, this summer, I've loved watching the, the the test cricket that they've played. I I've been amazed by the boldness with which they've they've played um, and the courage that they've shown uh, to play that way. I think um, Brendan McCullum has done a great job in that regard, and I think it's it's genuinely exciting and revolutionary. Um, so uh, long may that continue. In a way, you must be pleased in the, with the way Ben Stokes has turned out because you had your own tangles with him, didn't you, early on when you were in charge of the Lions and he was a young player and perhaps needed a bit of a bit of discipline. So actually, you must be pleased to see how he's emerged, really. Yeah. Well, one of my first um, meetings with him was... I went to watch the, the Lions play in, I think it was Hobart. And he'd been a naughty boy. So I was England head coach and I just went to watch. And Dave Parsons was in charge of the England Academy at the time. And, uh, and Stokesy had been naughty or something or other and had a disciplinary meeting. And Dave Parsons asked me to take part in, in the disciplinary meeting. For some, or, or, for some reason, I agreed. I don't know why I did. You know, that was his job to do. Um, but anyway... Um, we did, uh, uh, he was disciplined. I can't remember exactly what it was. He wasn't happy with the outcome. Um, but he, I could see how much fire was in his belly. Um, and, uh, and then when we brought him into the one day side, um, I, I was tremendously impressed with him. I, I remember Paul Collingwood telling me how good he thought he was going to be. Um, and then you know, doing range hitting and that sort of stuff. I remember at the Oval once doing that in, in the nets with him and he looked something special. Um, not only his physical ability, but his uh, competitiveness. Um, so, and then when he, when, he, when he debuted in Australia uh, during the Ashes series, um, the last Ashes series I was involved in, he was just sensational. You know, the whole team felt hugely under pressure. Um, and, uh, and he was brilliant in his debut game in Adelaide, uh, I thought. And, and then in, the, in Perth, scored that 100 in the second innings uh, on, a, on, a, on a difficult pitch and very difficult situation. So it's lovely to see how he's grown from his various experiences um, uh, into into the competitor and leader he is now. Really lovely to see. Did you see him as a future England captain? When you're in that disciplinary meeting, did you think this guy might captain England one day? <laughs> no chance. I never thought. No worries. <laughs> and in fact, when I first heard Trevor Bayless say it, um, I can't remember, it was years ago that he said it. Mm. Uh, I, I was I was sceptical. Um, but Trevor, you, you know, uh, uh, Trevor obviously saw something in, in Ben um, in the dressing room and in the training uh, area that he thought um, he could he could do this thing and uh, and good on Trevor and good on Ben. Where, where can this go? Do you think this this England revolution? Do you think it could, do you think it could have a sort of mushroom of mushrooming effect for the whole of t Test cricket? Or do you think everyone's got to play in their own way? Well, I do think everyone's got to play in their own way and they've got to play to their strengths. But I, but I think if England continue to have uh, success with this method, then people will have to 
they might have to, the other countries might have to adjust to keep up. Um, so it depends on how successful England can be in the, in the medium to long term uh, with this method. Obviously, they're going to have hiccups. Every team will. Uh, but, but if they can uh, remain good enough and confident enough to pull it off, um, other teams might have to play at a certain intensity to catch up. I, I love your story uh, that you told well, me and probably many other people uh, a while ago about when you were in Zimbabwe as a young man, following a bird in the sky uh, as far as it could go into the distance to enhance your focus stroke eyesight. And that was one of your little sort of philosophies about how to improve yourself as a cricketer. Is there anything like that that you have now that you pass on to your players when that you're coaching, a little kind of nugget that either you draw from your playing days or from some other experience that, that helps them to improve or perform? Well, well, one of the catalysts for me thinking like that was um, when I toured the West Indies, we were talking about um, Gary Sobers and how he trained. And the West Indian um, psychologist at that time was a guy called Rudy Webster. And Rudy Webster had talked about how Gary Sobers had, um, he, he consciously trained his, um, his eyesight in the nets, if you like. So he would... He would net and purposely um, try to watch the detail on the ball, for instance, as it was being, being um, le leaving, the, leaving the bowler's fingers and getting closer to him. And I thought if that was good enough for Gary Sobers, then that would definitely be a good enough um, training principle for me as well. And I thought it made perfect sense. You know, if you can train your eyes better than the next guy, you, you've got the edge on it. And so I did some silly things like I tried to watch your swallows um, and, and not move my head so much, but uh, focus on them um, and, and just follow them with my eyes. And I also, um, I also used to use self-hypnosis and part of my self-hypnosis, I know this sounds really silly, but part of my self-hypnosis was around um, uh, trying to slow the ball down in its flight. At least my perception of it would be it was traveling slower and therefore I would have more time to face the ball. Now, whether these things made any difference at all uh, in reality um, is debatable, but the, the difference they made for me was I thought other people aren't doing this. So um, I've got the edge on other batsmen and perhaps on the bowlers. And it made me feel more confident. And confidence and self-belief is absolutely crucial to your chances of doing well um, in this competitive environment. And it made me feel more confident. So I, I did those things. I, I, don't tell, I don't tell our young batsmen to stare at birds in the sky, but I do tell them the Gary Sober story if I feel that they aren't watching the ball uh, like they should be. And don't they go, who? <laughs> Amazing, isn't it, what you find out about players and what they used to do to try and make themselves just that little bit better than all their competitors. Anyway, so that's Andy Flower, who had a phenomenal playing career and is really, really supreme as a coach, both with red ball and white. 
Right, that's it for this preview of England versus South Africa at the Oval. Let's hope for good weather over the next few days and we'll be back to review each day's play in this Test match starting on Thursday. Join us then. Podcast Network.